One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. Hey there, this is Dr. Noseworthy, and welcome back to the Inflammation Nation podcast. Today, we're continuing on our discussion of hormones and health, and we're going to move away from cortisol now. I bet you're probably happy about that. And we're going to start talking about the reproductive hormones. Um, and when I, when I say that, I mean the, the estrogens, the androgens, uh, as well as progesterone. And eventually, we'll talk about each of those, um, not individually, but as, as groups. Um, one of the things to keep in mind when it comes to hormone function is that it's somewhat um, clinically ineffective, uh, perhaps conceptually naive, to talk about hormones as individual items, although we kind of have to do that just for the sake of discussion. Um, because in reality, uh, the function of the hormone system is, is all about balance among connected elements. Um, so for example, um, the level, the absolute level of testosterone, for example, may not be as important as the balance between testosterone and estrogen. Uh, and, and we could say similar things of different hormonal pairs, uh, even though the absolute number certainly is clinically relevant uh, for sure. What I want to do is I, I want to start talking about guiding principles. Um, instead of just diving into a discussion of each indiv individual hormone, I think it's important to have kind of a mental framework, uh, a structure, if you will, that makes sense out of smaller items and smaller details about what these things are and, and how they work. Um, and so one of the first things that I want to talk about actually goes back to, I think it was the first episode that I did with the Inflammation Nation, which was talking about the neuroendocrine immune super system. And that was a, um, a phrase or a term that was coined, I believe was back in 1997, somewhere around there by um, Dr. Tada. He was a, a Japanese, is a Japanese researcher that uh, talked about the neuroendocrine super system as a uh, connected system between the brain, the hormones, and the immune system, and, and how each of those, while they may be somewhat functionally distinct, are also functionally interconnected, and they function together for the benefit of the whole. And that was uh, one of his three different ways to define what a super system is, is that it's made up of different parts, but they all coordinate together for the benefit of everything. And so I, I, I've often said, and, and I'm quoted as having said, that the neuroendocrine immune super system and this coordinated function between these connected parts is responsible for governing and controlling every aspect of human physiology. And so I think if we don't start a discussion about hormones and keep that main concept in mind that your hormonal systems, and it goes beyond just the reproductive hormones, but your hormonal systems are simply one part of this three-part super system, um, I, I think we kind of tend to lose relevance and focus. And so these interconnections are so important. We understand that the brain affects hormones, the immune system affects hormones, and hormones affect both of those as well. In fact, we have uh, lots of evidence in the medical literature, for example, that poor, poor brain development 
brain injury or concussion as well as neurodegeneration that we usually see in aging uh, has an impact on hormones so much so that there's a tendency for for these things to uh, promote the development of things like metabolic syndrome and can through different mechanisms invert male to female hormone ratios whether we're looking at a, a male subject or a female subject we also know that immune dysregulation and inflammation tends to impair the control signals that come out of the hypothalamus and the pituitary and how that affects downstream production of hormones from your reproductive organs, male or female. We also know that inflammation and immune dysregulation can shift hormone processing. We talked about that in a little bit more detail when we talked about the thyroid, but also the relative balance of free versus protein-bound hormone fractions. And, and it's probably a good time to remind you that all hormones exist in one of two states in the body. They're either bound to a carrier protein or they're not. And those that are not, what we call the free fraction, are those that are biologically active. A protein-bound hormone cannot bind to a hormone receptor to do something. So it has to be free fraction and liberated from that carrier protein. Um, and from a percentage standpoint, the vast majority of all hormones are bound to proteins. We're talking 99 plus percent of all hormones are not free fraction and most of the hormones in circulation, including estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, um, are biologically inactive. And that's actually a good thing because if we even doubled the amount of free fraction hormones that we have in circulation, we would have a tremendous impact on functionality. Or to say it the other way, if we cut our free fraction hormones by half, we'd have a tremendous impact on functionality. And so having less than 1%, sometimes less than 0.1% of hormones in the free fraction biologically active state is actually a protective mechanism. It's a way that we protect our systems from driving resistance patterns and getting overstimulated and causing all kinds of nonsense. Um, the other thing that immune dysregulation and inflammation tends to impair is the proteomic response, and, and that's the cellular response to the hormones. Remember, hormones, all hormones work on, on the same mechanism, which is this lock and key concept. So hormones have to plug into a receptor site, uh, just like you would stick a key into a lock. And as long as you have the right key going into the right lock and you can turn it and change the lock mechanism, then something happens. And, and inflammation and immune dysregulation can actually change how your cells work or how they respond to hormones, even though your hormone levels might be normal. So it's quite possible to have hormonal type symptoms yet still have completely normal hormone values. And there's a couple of different ways um, that we can get to that same place. But that concept of resistance is uh, not unique to, for example, insulin. With insulin resistance, it is a feature or a potential feature of any hormonal system, including the reproductive hormones. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and so we can say, like, that's just a very brief outline of how the brain and the immune system can affect hormonal systems. But, you know, the reverse is also true because these are interconnected systems. We know that hormone deficits or imbalances uh, if we have those, we, we tend to get bad brains or we can get poor immune function because immune cells also respond to hormones and certain hormones, for example, like estrogen, uh, can have some anti-inflammatory impacts. And so if we're estrogen deficient, uh, men or women, but we usually see this in women, um, we tend to get pro-inflammatory symptomatology. And that's just kind of the way the system is designed. Um, just a, a couple more details or examples. The, the major neural pathways rely on, uh, let's call them dominant 
hormone profiles for optimal function. And, and what that means is, again, for example, male brains tend to like an androgen dominance environment where there's more male type hormones than female type hormones. And, and even, even calling testosterone a male hormone or an estrogen a female hormone is a little bit of a misnomer because men have estrogen, women have testosterone and other androgens. Um, but it's just because higher estrogen, we see that in women, higher testosterone and androgens, we see that in men. And if men get high estrogen or women get high androgens, then that tends to mess things up. Uh, we also know that the female brain tends to like estrogen dominance. And for example, progesterone synergizes with GABA to produce a calming effect on the brain. So hormones have an effect on brain function. They also have, as I mentioned just a moment ago, an effect on the immune system. So estrogen uh, can have anti-inflammatory impacts and, and as does testosterone, particularly with males. And so when a woman goes through menopause, uh, and she loses control over estrogen, it begins to fluctuate. When it goes down, she tends to get inflammatory symptoms. Um, and we can say the same thing with men who, throw, who go through andropause or what's commonly called manopause, uh, where androgen levels go down and, and again, all kinds of things tend to, to go sideways. Um, but as I mentioned just a moment ago, when it comes to hormones, it's really all about balance and synergy and the hormones role in participating as part of that neuroendocrine immune super system. Hi there, it's Dr. Noseworthy. I want to extend my appreciation to all of you in the Inflammation Nation who have helped my podcast become a great success in these first few months. I truly appreciate you. I also wanted to let you know about my brand new do-it-yourself online program called the Five-Step Gut Protocol. I designed this program for people who want to take charge of their own health and stop waiting around for someone else to tell them what to do. I've combined old naturopathic principles with cutting edge research to create a truly unique program that will help you construct your own gut protocol. If you've ever wondered if you have gut infections, a leaky gut, or a bad microbiome, then this program will walk you through the steps to figure that out and gives you the tools that you need to formulate a practical strategy to help make things better. I guarantee at the end of this course, you'll know more about your gut than your doctor does, and you will feel confident that you know how to address your unique situation. You can check it out at my website at www.drnoseworthy.com. That's drnoseworthy.com. And just look for the tab at the top that says the programs. Thanks for listening. And to be honest, it's pretty complex. Now you can simplify it, of course, but focusing on, on one hormone and what it does by itself in isolation is an inefficient way to view things. Uh, and it's sometimes unpredictable how adding a hormone into a biological environment, you don't always know or can't always predict exactly how that's gonna pan out. For example, if we have a male who is low on testosterone and is what we call an aromatizer, where testosterone easily converts into estrogen, and there's an, an enzyme called aromatase that governs that. Um, if a man goes into a hormone clinic, for example, and complains of low testosterone and they measure testosterone and it is indeed low, but they don't look at it in the context of the entire system and they don't realize that that man tends to convert testosterone into estrogen, adding more testosterone typically gives a, maybe a two to three week reprieve of symptoms as the testosterone levels 
come up, but the dominant physiology in the biological terrain always wins, which means they're just that guy is just going to take the extra testosterone and make more estrogen, and you just end up in the same place where the relative balance between estrogen and testosterone is out of balance, and that's where a lot of the symptomatology are coming from. And so again, focusing on one hormone by itself um, is really not an efficient way to look at things. Um, if you've been listening, you did listen to the, the several different episodes we had on cortisol and adrenal dysfunction. When hormones, reproductive hormones are out of balance, it's always secondary to something else. Even if you have a glandular issue, for example, an autoimmunity where your immune system is attacking uh, ovaries if you're a woman or testes if you're a man, um, and you have a result of, uh, or you, the result is low estrogen, progesterone, low testosterone, um, because the gland is failing, it's still secondary to the autoimmunity. And so even primary hypogonadism, which is where the gland itself is failing to produce the hormones that it's responsible for, um, that is always secondary to something else. So nevertheless, that's just kind of the way we have to look at things just to make sure that we can sort out data and information and come to some kind of a logical conclusion. Um, and this is very important to understand because jumping into hormone replacement without asking the question what went wrong and where is really kind of putting the cart before the horse. Now, I'm, I'm certainly not against hormone replacement therapy when it's necessary. Um, I'm not against it at all. But I find that um, in today's world, and it's been this way for quite a long time, um, docs, our practitioners are, are far too eager to jump into hormone replacement just simply because it's an easy and a quick solution and it's not as complex or time-consuming as really trying to figure out what the issue is and what the problem is. Um, and in many cases, fixing the foundation of hormonal balance and control actually not only resolves the problem, reduces and alleviates the symptoms, but avoids the potential downsides of hormone replacement therapy. And, and all therapies in that realm have some potential downsides, particularly if someone actually doesn't need the hormone replacement to begin with. We'll come back and we'll talk to some and talk about some other aspects of that concept um, probably in a, in a second episode. So having said that, said a moment ago, I'm not against hormonal replacement therapy just kind of as a carte blanche attitude. I, I think sometimes hormone replacement is the best intervention. But how do you get to the point where you understand that it really is? And what process have you gone through before you make that decision? Should I take hormones or should I not take hormones? Um, and I'll tell you that we have a lot more wiggle room to fix foundational issues without hormone replacement. I'm talking about foundational issues that are actually promoting hormonal imbalance or deficits to begin with. We have a lot more wiggle room to fix these foundational deficits or issues without hormone replacement in women who are younger as opposed to women who are older and have already gone through um, the change of life, if you will. We also have more wiggle room to fix foundational issues and to resolve hormone problems in men compared to women just simply because male hormonal systems are far less complex than female hormonal systems, especially if we're dealing with a woman who's in her reproductive years and still has her menstrual period. The reality is, is that once men and women get to a certain point of life, 
that their brains get somewhat uncoupled from their reproductive organs in that feedback control mechanism that determines how we make hormones and, and when we make them. And so as we age, we tend to lose that coordination between the brain and the reproductive organs to the point where um, if it stays that way long enough or has shifted far enough from when we did have established control of that feedback mechanism, sometimes those things don't ever come back. In fact, we see quite often um, with women who have been on birth control pills and they come off them and, and they might still be well into their reproductive years and the history of being on birth control pills for many, 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 many years, sometimes a couple of decades, has damaged, if you will, and, and that's kind of a loose term, but have, has damaged the feedback control system to the extent that they're almost forced into hormone replacement because they've lost that control and coordination and we can't reestablish that. And that's not true for every woman. Clearly, there are some women that can take the birth control pill and come off it and have normal cycles right away. Sometimes it takes a few months for things to kick back into rhythm and back into gear again. But for some people, it never comes back. And, and that is would be unique to them. And it's not something that we can predict, unfortunately. So, you know, as we age, we tend to lose the feedback control from the brain to the reproductive system. Plus, the reproductive organs themselves tend to decline in atrophy as we get older, as the brain stops talking to the reproductive organs themselves, or maybe a better way to say it is that the reproductive organs stop listening to the signals that are coming out of the brain. And by signals, I mean, these are hormonal signals like, um, you know, they, we have the signaling pathway of gonadotropin releasing hormone coming from the hypothalamus and then the production of luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone from the pituitary. When those signals don't get attended to by the reproductive organs themselves because we've lost the feedback loop coordination, what ends, to ha ends up happening is the lack of stimulation from the brain through those hormones, LH and FSH, these reproductive organs begin to atrophy. They actually start to shrink. Um, and, and ultimately what ends up happening is they fail to respond by producing fewer hormones than at the same level when we were older when our brain and our reproductive system were actually speaking to each other and understanding clearly what was what was needed in the environment. And um, so let me just say one more thing in terms of guiding principles, and, and I'll call this episode a wrap, and I'll save diving into a little bit more detailed and granular information for the next episode is, you know, when I, when I advocate or whether I advocate hormone replacement for somebody, it's going to depend on a couple of things. And understand that with, you know, as a chiropractor and, ex and an expert in functional medicine, I, I do not prescribe hormones. Um, that, that's a pharmaceutical thing. That's up to MDs, DOs, nurse practitioners, and so on. Um, but there's a lot of things that can happen that can change the reality of hormone balance or hormone symptomatology without resorting to pharmaceuticals. And, and I, I tend to believe that if you don't have to go on medications, uh, including hormones, you probably shouldn't because if you do without, a, without doing your due diligence and understanding what the root causes are, if you have the opportunity to fix foundational issues that are creating or promoting your hormonal balance, you should probably do that because if all you do is jump into hormone replacement and you do see relief of your symptoms, 
then you're just going to forget that you had a problem to begin with and those other issues that cause the hormone balance imbalance or promoted your symptoms just tend to bubble under the surface causing other issues and at some point they manifest themselves perhaps in different areas and we'll get to the point where we talk about these foundational items i'll, I'll probably do that in the next episode where we kind of break it down and talk about the five pillars, if you will, of hormone balance and control, just so that you get a sense of um, how real and how practical and how common these problems are, and to give you some hope in, in the fact that, yeah, maybe for you, if you stabilize your blood sugar and fix your inflammatory issue, maybe your hormones will start to rebalance themselves. Now, again, going back to hormone replacement, I, I'm not against it. It's just you want to use the right tool in the right place at the right time. And so I tend to take a conservative progressive approach, meaning that I would, I would tend to prefer to start with non HRT hormone replacement therapy, an evaluation of these foundational elements of hormone balance and control and fix those if possible. And then only progress the hormone replacement uh, through a properly prescribed or mechanism or working with a doctor that does that. Only doing that if needed. And, and when I say if needed, meaning that either we investigate the foundation and there's no problems to address, and now we're just dealing with the senescence of the system and hormone replacement is the most viable option, or maybe we go through a foundational evaluation and we do find some problems. And we fix those and we do a pretty good job of them and there's nothing we're ignoring and we still don't see the hormonal balance profile come back, then at, obviously at that point, hormone replacement therapy is what's needed. Um, and this is really consistent with a root cause perspective, meaning let's dig down and let's cast our net broadly enough to catch the things that could be promoting the hormone issue to begin with and, and then get to work on those and see what happens because your body has an amazing natural ability to heal, but there are some limitations to that. Um, and, you know, the idea of, of kind of taking this progressive approach really also depends on someone's gender and their stage of life. For example, if I, if someone comes to me and, you know, maybe the, I take them on as a one-on-one -on -one coaching client and then you know, I'm dealing with a, you know, let's say a 62-year-old female who has been menopausal for 20 years, 25 or 15 years, somewhere around there. Um, I'm far less likely to say, hey, we can probably fix this without hormone replacement than if I'm dealing with a 20-year-old female um, who's not gone through early menopause and really has these foundational issues that we can fix with a great likelihood of things coming back online because she's still in her reproductive years and that's what her body wants to do. It wants to produce hormones in the right amount at the right time of the day, of the week, of the month. Um, that's what her body wants to do and we can do a lot of things to help assist that recalibrate. Um, I'm also more likely to suggest to a man <laughs> than a woman that we can probably reboot the system and get things working again. But it just all depends again. Or am I talking about a 32-year-old man who has hormonal issues because of stress and bad lifestyle that we can fix? Or am I dealing with a 75-year-old man who has already had testicular atrophy and it's just part of the natural aging process? So gender and stage of life is also important. But the final thing that really determines whether I advocate for taking a foundational approach first um, versus jumping into hormone replacement is really the value system of my clients. 
meaning what did they want? What do they think is most important? And how fast do they want or do they need something to change? Because, you know, hormonal imbalances like everything else come in different flavors and varieties and there's a scale and a spectrum in terms of how badly those things are impacting somebody's life. And someone, if somebody is absolutely suffering and they're absolutely desperate and maybe they've seen a bunch of other clinicians and, and really have had no, no luck in terms of finding solutions, I might be more inclined for that person to say, hey, listen, why don't we start with hormone replacement, the lowest level we can get away with while we're doing our diligence and looking at foundational issues because something needs to change very quickly. But a lot of my clients, the, the people in my one-on-one -on -one coaching programs, um, they come to me because they want natural solutions. You know, They're willing to do hormones if that's what's required, but what they want is someone like me to dig into their history, dig into their metabolic environment and terrain and figure out or help them figure out, do I need replacement or are there things I can do to get my system to recalibrate and do what it's supposed to do? And so let me just kind of review that, it, you know, kind of the three rules that I use for myself as to whether or not I advocate for a foundational approach versus jumping into hormone replacement. Number one is I, as a clinician, tend to prefer root cause perspective and evaluation. If, if there's a problem we can fix to let your body do what it's designed to do, let's do those things first. And then we can decide if hormone replacement is a good option after that. Let's look at your your gender, let's look at your, your stage of life and kind of put you into that scale and see what, what that tells us. And then ultimately I want to ask them after I explain these things to them, like what's important to you? Is it important for you to try to let your body rebalance on its own or do you not really care? Do you just need some relief now, which is not something a natural process is going to give you? If we go through this foundational approach, it's not like I can bring relief to somebody in a period of days, certainly not even weeks, and it could take months as we go through the process. And that will, I, I think, become more clear in the next episode when we talk about the actual five pillars of hormone balance and control. So let's leave that conversation for the next episode of The Inflammation Nation. Thank you so much for listening to The Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time. Music